Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing gentlemen's agreements. So, Nick, why are we talking about gentlemen's agreements? Well, in this particular case, uh, it's inspired by a recent event in um, the House of Commons, uh, the British, uh, part of obviously the British Parliament, and um, one of the votes on Brexit, on the government's uh, Brexit, um, uh, it was all quite convoluted, but there's a, a the, the Parliament needed to both uh, agree to a, um, agree to the, um, proposal that Theresa May is going to put to the EU and also to vote on some amendments that were put forward at the last minute and it was all very convoluted as usual but anyway the what the thing of interest here is that um, there is a long-standing convention in uh, in the House of Commons where uh, people on on in different parties will agree to be paired uh, so that they can either both be present for a vote or both be absent for a vote, right? In case one of them needs to be absent. In and case the one other of them one... has to be absent, the other one simply doesn't turn up. And it's just, you know, it means that the vote is not, the outcome of the vote is unaffected. Um, and, you know, it's basically a way of, of both both sides benefit. You know, if they can both, if they both agree they're not going to be there, then they just don't turn up. Um, anyway, so during one of these votes, uh, the um, uh, Brandon Lewis, who's the Conservative chairman, I think, uh, was paired with um, a Liberal Democrat MP, Joe Swinson, who was on maternity leave. And the sly old fo- dog turned up and voted for the, with the government. Um, Bounder. And indeed. And, um, and uh, the motion, I think, passed. But obviously this was tr- judged fairly scandalous. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so it was a situation where, well, there was no real obligation. There's no, certainly no legal obligation for them to do it. So the question is, why do they do it anyway? So what's, uh, you know, and and um, uh, what motivates them to break that agreement when, when they do? I should say in his defence that he claimed he got muddled up and, uh, you know, did not, had not realised <laughs> that and, it was and, being uh, applied. And to, and, be, you know. and to be fair to the British press, I think the, uh, the whips office is getting much more flack than he is as an, individually i think the the attention is on the whips office for being bu- for bullying him into voting against these unwritten rules and um, yeah he was probably distracted by too many whatsapp messages and chats and and emails and so on things like that maybe that's what happened um okay but the question isn't no why i think you said the question is why does this exist or why you know i think it's it's clear why it exists. It's just a nice. Um, well, I think we're, we're interested in why why de- gentlemen's agreements exist, and wh- why why sort of social norms more generally exist, and why why do they stick in some circumstances and then, but not in others? Well, no, it, it's not clear how it exists. Actually, I mean, it seems like yeah, it's obviously a good thing, but what's to stop you breaking it? Nothing. So why don't people break it the first chance they get? You know, and. Um, and, well, I think there and, is, and then hey presto, a free vote, right? Well, there is there is stuff but, breaking it because the, the the there's value in having a system like that, right? I mean, I thought also I mean, putting it into context of quite a, a long and stable democracy, um, and there's there's the weight of convention 
um, can, yeah, can grow much, during This that is all time. very much like someone saying, well, I really want to give up smoking, but I'll just have this one last cigarette, right? There's always a temptation to break that agreement um, because it's always in your interest to do that. Like, what, what difference mm. would it make? Well, I think it, 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 it well, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to speak for the economist, uh, going to, what is going on? Well, because uh, I mean, it comes, it really comes down to sort of a game theory situation, doesn't it? So you have, there'll be a certain cost and benefit associated with breaking that social rule there and then. So the, 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 the micro benefit might be that your party wins that vote. Uh, and the cost will be, you are you're not taking it seriously you're not trusted as much but also the this social norm which exists in and gives you benefit in the longer term uh is diminished yeah but but whose interest is it to enforce the social norm that's what i'm saying well it's 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 a a collective thing over over a sort of um, a macro period well this this is the part i mean this is the puzzle right it's it's puzzling why we um, or you know, why people do things against their interest, um, in and and you know in so that they continue a social norm, which again is only in the future going to potentially work against them. Uh, then you know, uh, yeah, I mean you're right. The answer is there is an answer in game theory. Um, which is, you know, looking at how people play in a repeated prisoner's dilemma situation. Now, we haven't, we, I don't think, I, bizarrely, I can't remember that we talked about the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, not in any detail, no. But, it, but it's, it's really universal. It's a universal situation. It's, I mean, there's no point. It's so well covered on the internet. People can look it up. But the gist is that you have a situation, the, the thought experiment is you have a situation where there's two people who have been arrested for uh, potentially committed a, committing a crime. And, uh, you know, let's say they both actually are actually, in fact, guilty of that crime. Um, and they can either keep stum and not say anything or they can dob in their mate. Now, if they both keep stum, they'll get convicted on some sort of technicality like carrying a knife uh, and they'll both go to prison for three months. If they uh, both rat on each other, well, great. They'll both go to prison for 10 years for murder. Um, but if one of them rats on the other one, the one who ratted on his mate gets led off scot-free, right? Whereas his mate gets, let's say, you know, five years or something. Um, so so the, the, the question you have is, well, should we keep Sturm or, uh, or rat, on our, rat on our mate now? So here's the two choices. First of all, you say, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to, what if he keeps quiet? He doesn't say anything. What's better for us? Well, if we, if we dob him in, we get, off free instead of having to go to prison for three months so it's better to dob him in if he's going to be quiet if he's going to rat on me well i should rat on him because then we'll both be better off than if i uh than, than if i if i get you know sent to prison for i've, I've explained it wrong i need to do the whole thing again <laughs> whoa okay so well i do i've I, given it you said that it's all well covered i would suggest listeners go and look up uh, okay. look up game theory on, yeah. so, on so it's so the, the prisoner's dilemma is is pretty well covered but it's essentially a situation where you you can get one over on someone in a particular situation and they can get one over on you right they can they can get an advantage at your expense but if you both do that you're both worse off than if neither of you had done that. Now the problem is, so so you're it's in your individual interest to uh, to 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 try and exploit 
the situation you're in but but if you both do that you'll both be worse off and this and this is a situation which crops up all the time crops up in everyday life in uh, social interactions in business in thing in the environment particularly you know you could see climate change as uh, the result of lots of people no, nobody wants the earth to be destroyed but it's in as long, if everyone else is behaving themselves then you get a little sneaky advantage by by polluting a bit more uh, by not paying for you know to try and to try and clamp down on your own pollution but so, they, but, they, but, they, but the game has changed though when it's repeated because the blizzard of the Lone was just a one off event yes and the so and when when the game is repeated and also when the balance between risk uh, sorry the balance between the cost and the benefit are closer, so there's not much difference in it. Then you get then you get the state where you have you can have a Nash equilibrium, and that's the point at which um, you can get a sort of uh, uh, a the, where where social norms exist. So if you get, if you're if on aggregate over like your entire lifetime, it's worthwhile taking your shoes off when you go into people's houses versus not doing that. Because the, the the cost of the cost of um, being ridiculed and being ostracised because you're not taking your shoes off, for example, uh, is outweighed by the benefit of taking your shoes off. Then you will just leave your shoes on. Well, wait a minute. I'm not qu- this. I'm not totally sure that I agree with exactly how you presented this. The when people first discovered the prisoner's dilemma. When people first talked about it, it was in the 1940s, John von Neumann, you know, looking at um, looking at sort of strategic interaction, the development of game theory. Uh, people couldn't really understand how it was that the prison dilemma would end in anything other than both both players defecting, you know, both players taking the bad option. Mm. Uh, because actually, the the and and when you have a repeated when you have a repeated game, yes, you can potentially sustain. Not always, but you can sustain cooperation over a longer period of time. But um, but it's really hard to derive that analytically, right? So you it, because there are so many possible strategies you can have. If we're going to play against each other, you know, ten times in a row, uh, or some indeterminate number of times in a row, um, it, it, there's you know every single move you make could potentially result in uh, another strategy. So I could say, well, I'm going to defect against you if you cooperate three times in a row and then defect and then cooperate again there's so many possible strategies um there, there are but i think it's been numerically demonstrated there's lots of numerical evidence that the a tit for tat is the yeah. optimal so so then so the 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 the, the uh, robert axelrod in the in the um i think i want to say the 1970s or 80s the um uh yeah 1984 decided because it couldn't be sold analytically to test it empirically. Yes. Uh, look, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to delve too much into uh, game theory because it's discussed so much elsewhere. Um, I just want. I want to bring us back on track a little bit, if you if you're okay well, with that. Yeah. I mean, although, is there any before we? I want to talk a little bit more about convention and written unwritten yeah, stuff. Yeah. Although, no, but, but before we do, it needs do, to be explained. Yeah. Right. Okay, but before we do, go on. Yeah. No, it's tra- just that that the he basically did a competition where he got people to submit strategies where they would you know see what the other person did and then they'd play again and then mm. they could make their decision based on what the person and did it was before. A, it was tournament based so all of these yeah. different strategies were little bits of code they're all fighting each other all fighting each other and the tit for tat was was of it was strangely the simplest and well, the it best. wasn't the simplest i mean always always uh okay yeah well, it was one defense. of the compared to some of them which had very long memories and did all sorts of clever computation stuff 
tit for tat basically you just retaliate if somebody um okay if some if somebody um does the bad thing but then you instantly forgive them yeah and you um uh if as long as they cooperate you keep cooperating yeah that makes sense so yeah and that's what uh this is one of the examples right back round to convention one of the examples the convention develops effectively Mm. one of the examples he talks about is the uh, sort of evolu- the development of those of um, emergent ceasefires in the First World War. Mm. Um, so the necessary conditions are you need to play against the same people over and over again. If you randomise it, it doesn't work. Yeah. So you've got to be playing against the same people. Well, the, this parliamentary pairing situation is obviously that. You know you can verify who they are. You can verify what they've done because voting records aren't secret. So, you you know, and um, and, and that's where you get these, these conventions are allowed to emerge. They can emerge in situations okay. where you have those conditions. Okay. And also, I mean, and nothing needs to be written down, right? It's sort of learned on a sort of almost a corporate level or system. No, it needs level. to, it does, you need, does to, it need be to be able to verify. Down? Well, not written down, but you've got to be able, you've got to know you've got to be able you're to playing the same it. person and you have to know what they did. If you don't know what they did, then you've got a whole new, okay. more complex class, class of problem. Okay. So can we extend this out into other areas on a society level, for example? Yeah, so I, 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 the gentleman's agreement is a form of social norm, a sort of a, a, a rule that exists, but doesn't isn't written down. It's not a piece of policy. It's not a piece of law. It's a thing that um, uh, a convention that that uh, people of a certain group subscribe to because generally it's good for the group. Um, so and then, and, then, and social norms are to- everywhere, totally prevalent. So just for just as a sort of uh, an example: If you if you Google um, uh, the, the list of social rules on BuzzFeed, you'll you'll find lists of twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred different social rules that you go, yes, I totally recognise that. And it, I find that in, uh, interesting, not because of the rules themselves, but just because there are so many rules out there that until you see them written down, you don't realise you just do them. Mm. So, as it, for example, so for example, holding a door for somebody. Um, uh, or um, you know, saying hello to people, or just things that you just do without thinking about it that you've been in some way programmed to do uh, by uh, by society, by your family, by well, your friends. Well, although what we're saying them. is that it's a strategic optimum. Is that is that you know you you are bearing a cost, but it's better that you bear that cost and t- and have the benefit in future. Than that, you've always got to open your own flipping door. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so there's, so the, yeah, so the, so the, for some, uh, it's, it's at an equilibrium where um, everyone benefits a bit. On aggregate. Can I just say, actually, I think with the door holding example, I think there's a really important piece of physics here, which is that if a door is already open, it's easier to hold it open than it is to let it shut and then to have absolutely, someone open it again. yeah, and that's vital, right? Now, when you haven't evolved a norm to open doors for other people, we've evolved a norm to hold doors open if they're already open when someone's coming along. And I, it wouldn't work. You couldn't get a social convention that people undertake a cost that is, uh, you know, no smaller um, than uh, than the cost that that individual would bear if they yeah. were if they were going to. And if you design doors to be easier to to open than they were to close like they'd, they'd always doors. be open no one holds automatic doors open for <laughs> yeah each other. they'd always be open and it would <laughs> the doors would not fulfill their main yeah. purpose actually as an aside one thing that i lament is um the automation of locks on central locking on cars right because it means i've had to forego the opportunity to behave gentlemanly towards ladies 
because in the past you I prefer would... to lock them in and only be <laughs> with a child lock and then only let them out um yeah because in the past i would always go around to the passenger door open it for the lady um but with in... central locking has got nothing to do with this whatsoever of course yeah. it does because um now it's i mean I'm, i guess i'm talking about unlocking a door because if i've gone around to unlock oh, it i might as well you open mean. it you, you, you lock you, yeah okay. yeah you, you'd have to unlock the doors wait hang on are we saying that you used to have to go and unlock each car door separately? I'm afraid so. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing we made it this far. God, I right? can't believe it. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's what central locking is, right? Yeah. So. Uh, sorry, I've, I've slightly distracted us. What were we talking about? Well, I've distracted myself anyway. Uh, we were talking about social norms. We're talking about doors. <laughs> talking about doors um, <laughs> in the context of, sort of social norms. But, the, but um, uh, anthropologists and uh, sociologists will maintain that social norms are absolutely crucial in terms of the stitching together of groups of whatever size. So even you know pairs of people, so a couple will have their own particular peculiar social norms to that couple that is part of the social cohesion which keeps them together. And any any size of group they're they're bigger will also have their own social yeah but that's that's typical anthropologists right to observe something and say oh social norms are important i mean the point about the game theory analysis is that it explains (laughs) why it is why it is that no but why it is that people will uh will bear well why okay i mean look it is puzzling someone bears a cost albeit a small one to hold the door open for someone they don't know and who they're very unlikely to ever meet again Right, so they're undertaking a cost for somebody else's benefit. Now, whether you like it or you might like it, that we'd have evolved to do that, but we would have been wiped out as a species if we did. Right, so the, you have to explain why that phenomenon exists, why it is that we do things that are beneficial to other people at a small cost to ourselves, um, uh, and ha- why we're entitled to expect that that will continue to happen to us. So we'll all benefit. Right. Because because you 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 it isn't an instantaneous trade. I mean, the crucial point about the prisoner's dilemma is that you don't know. You don't get to see what the other person did first. Um, so so it you know it it is a prima facie puzzle. Now we're all humans, so we're so used to doing it that we think it's normal. We think it's just sort of obviously being nice to people is is your default setting. But you you have to realise that the urge to be nice to people is the result of quite a lot of uh, combination of evolution and then evolution's chance to express what it is we've evolved to do in the form of these specific social norms well i mean i i mean it's not an explanation but i i'm a big fan of the um the buddhist concept of karma it's where it makes this kind of quid quo pro like a currency so the more you good stuff you do for people the more kind of capital you build up as karma which which the more capital you have the more likely or the deeper you go into shangri-la when you ultimately die. I think that's not, I mean, that's not exactly how karma works, but... I it's mean, kind of it, though. <laughs> it's not, though. I, I mean, that, it, that's an element of it. I think another element that's probably closer to, the, you know, the idea of it is that, um, is by doing something good that has a knock-on effect for others of they will also do good things. Yeah, but that, that's... So it's not, all, it's no, not that, about building no, up the, no, car, the cor- personal karma. Causal, that's yeah. a causal analysis. And well, it in, might be, all discussion but... of all discussion of this kind of thing always gets bogged down in the same old crap, which is people saying, "Oh, you know, obviously it's better to be nice. That's why we're nice because it's obviously better." Well, that doesn't explain it because it's not in our interest to be nice. What the, the when you see someone, well, that may or may not be the case. When you see but, but... someone holding open a door for someone, 
It is pure self-interest because they are playing. <laughs> they're playing, they're playing a again. Nash equilibrium, yeah. which is in their interest. If it wasn't in their interest to do it, then they, those people, those door holders, holder openers, would die out. God, you're right. such an economist. Well, I'm, a, I'm not. I'm just, you know, this is how I am, actually. But that's irrelevant. This belief, what I'm saying, is simply happens to be true. Yeah. So in that regard... And we, and we rationalise it as being more, uh, having a moral compulsion to do that. I mean, I mean, you can see morality, social morality, praise, yeah. blame, punishment, as a way of solving this prisoner's dilemma problem. And if you read uh, Stephen Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, where he tracks the sort of decline of violence... Um, you know, over the long term in, in, in human societies. His analysis of it at the end is that basically, uh, you know, the better we have got as a, as a society at having methods to enforce um, the good outcome for the prisoner's dilemma versus the bad outcome is, the, is ultimately the explanation for why we have, uh, got, you know, got, we've all become better off. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And we, 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 when we're teaching our children... Um, about the right way to behave, we'll dress it up as being just, we'll just say it's just the right thing to do, or God says that's the right thing to do. Um, uh, and often, you know, because those con- it's e- that's an easier concept to grasp than, oh, well, you need to understand game theory and you need to talk about <laughs> Nash equilibriums, especially when those things hadn't been worked out yet thousands of years ago. I mean, when I discovered the, the, um, uh, the prisoner's dilemma, when I, I was about 15 and I bought a book uh, called Games of Life. I can't remember the author. You can look it up on the internet. Uh, and uh, I, I, this really, it blew me away. I just thought this is, this is uh, you know, absolutely right. This is, you know, actually you're being shown something which is universal, but completely baffling. Um, and and you, it happens all the time. Everywhere you look in society, why we don't drop litter, why we don't, you know, why, why we don't, uh, you know, just steal things when we're in a shop, if we could get away with it, all of these things. And then the evolution of the institutions to enforce that, you know, why we have, why we, I mean, if you think about why do, well, why do we follow laws? You and me follow laws, maybe because we're scared of being punished by someone. We might get caught by the police. Well, why do the police bother enforcing laws? Why do they put any effort into enforcing laws? You know, it's not in their individual interest at that point to do that. Uh, you can see the whole edifice of, uh, you know, our political institutions, our political and social institutions, is all founded to solve this one problem, um, of uh, you know, which is very nicely expressed by this by this pairing. Uh, right, which brings us back round nicely to that convention. Um, I, we need to wrap up, but just before we do, um, I've got a question um conventions do you have a, a a particular social convention that you're particularly fond of because i do um I'll, I'll kick off i really i'm a big fan of queues and queuing um very specifically very I'm efficient a, way of doing things yeah it is um and you know when i'm in other countries where you know um other you know benighted places less fortunate than us in in the uk i get nervous you know when there's a bit of a scrum you know, um, and I get very, very disgruntled and just what I like about the queue is that I can relax. I know it's going to be OK. It's all going to be fair. Um, <laughs> You'll get your turn. Yeah, exactly. Um, but right, particularly well, prisoner's dilemma right there. OK, you could push in. But at what cost? Right. Um, very particularly, I like British pub queues. 
I like the fact that there is a queue that is not physical, it's distributed. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. But everyone kind of knows it, and you can tell whether uh, whether another fellow is a, a fellow gentleman or not. Although the way, I way, find it does break down quite often, particularly in busy London pubs Friday, it, Saturday night. It it, mm, it does. Honor, but I, honor is no. There is no honor in London. Well, Friday, I pride Saturday. myself uh, no matter how busy the pub. So do I. So yeah. Yeah. But we, oh, yeah. we, we hold oh, ourselves. No, no one is the guy who pushes in in a pub queue. No, no one he, stands up and go. I'm, I'm the guy who takes advantage <laughs> of the fact that the pub's busy to push. Even in. as tempting as it can be, and when as busy as it can get. Um, so that's my favourite. What about yourselves? It might be the same for all I know. Uh, well, I, 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 I have a distant military background, and so um, the, the wearing of any kind of denim was more or less frowned upon <laughs> at any time. But we still do quite a bit of business with military people now. And right. now that I'm out of the so system, right. I, I, I love that rule because it gives me an opportunity to be to dissent and to break the rule. Okay. by Because I, I know how much it offends people, I will do it deliberately just for fun. I like that. I like that. That it's a convention you like to break. Uh, Nick? Uh, yeah, so my mine would be... Um... Uh, this this is really straightforward and it's bloody obvious why it's why it's a, a good rule but um it's not dissimilar to queuing but it's letting people off the tube first it's it's possibly the thing that riles me the most this is why i'm thinking about when i think about okay adherence to social norms which social norm do i like best is almost the same as saying which social norm do i hate it when it's broken mm. most and not letting people off the tube uh you know before getting on drives me up the wall to the extent that I will resort to minor assault uh, by barging people <laughs> with my shoulder if I can um, if they if they try to get on and they always have the same glassy eyed expression like yeah. when they're getting on like zombies yeah. and you think well what is the point I've got to get off right what is the point of you not letting me off first yeah um, so I'm afraid that's a bit negative really because I'm, I'm being a bit shouty but it, I, I that's that's one I think I feel I hold sacred Quite. Because there's such a good rationale for it. Yeah. I, I agree with you, uh, though I don't resort to physical violence. But I tell you what, I've given a few people some stern stares in my time. I tell you well, that's, that's bad. bad as I bet they withering. I bet that you left them hurting. I bet I yeah. did. Yeah. No, the other uh, other social convention I like is offering people cups of tea when you when you arrive when they come to your house or you go to their. Yes, no, that's a good one. I think any any visitor, no matter who they are, the first even if they're even if they're an adversary, you should always ask them what would they like to drink. So that's why I still Stop managed to get a couple. stealing my silver. Also, <laughs> is it white with two? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's wrap up there. You've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. That's all for now. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.